are continuing in our series on generous love. That's what we've been looking at over these last few weeks. And uh, today, tonight, we're going to look at this theme through the lens of generous hospitality. And I wonder what comes to mind when you think of the word hospitality. Perhaps it's the event industry. Anybody work in events here? Where's Sarah Flo? I know she does. There's one hand at the back. Yes, maybe you think about that. Maybe um, perhaps you think about a great party that you went to or maybe um, dinner with friends in a cozy home. But um, over the years in church ministry, Christian ministry, I've had the privilege of traveling up and down the UK and around the world overseas, going to different places. Now, my family and I, when we were growing up, we used to go camping to places like the New Forest and Devon and Dorset and Wales and things like that, which I loved. branched out to France as, you know, got a little bit older. Um, So when doors of opportunity opened to go further seas, I I was super excited at the thought of getting on a plane. And uh, these trips always meant being hosted by strangers, staying in their homes and receiving their hospitality. And uh, I stayed in very humble homes in Holland, um, stayed in gated homes in South Africa, family homes in Malaysia, And every experience of hospitality was really different. It was amazing. Years ago, way before um, we moved even into London, I was involved in a two-day conference in London. And I was hosted in one of those massive London houses, you know, that's like several floors. And uh, a a couple of the other girls and I, we were shown to our room where we were going to stay. And there was this big marble bathroom. I mean, the bath was massive, fully clothed. You know, that three of us kind of got in it. And we just thought, we are in for a treat. We're going to be so well hosted. But in all honesty, um, we actually felt quite awkward. The host was not very warm. And uh, in the morning, we felt uh, you know, they didn't really sort of give us any food. And we felt a bit of an inconvenience. So what we thought was going to be this amazing, luxurious um, hosting actually wasn't like that at all. Another very different experience, Martin and I, a number of years ago, went to Sydney in Australia. And uh, after one of the events that we were involved in, our hosts, again, people that we'd not met before, they took us for this evening picnic. And uh, they took us to a place where they'd set up, some of the team had already gone ahead and set up these tables. And they had put loads of amazing food on these tables. And it was in the Botanical Gardens. Anyone been there? Opposite the Sydney Opera House and the Sydney Bridge Harbour. I mean, it was stunning. And I was there, I don't know if you've ever done this, if you've traveled much, literally looking up at the stars thinking, I cannot believe I am the other side of the world. It's such a weird feeling, is it? Same stars, um, but in a different place um, com- completely. And then the following day, our host took us to the shop and they said, we just want to bless you and we want you to choose anything from this shop to take home. And we were like incredibly British and felt really awkward about the whole thing. We thought, can't we can't do that, can't do that. No, 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 we really want to. And it's bearing mind they were complete strangers to us we were complete strangers to them but the level of hospitality they showed us well it was unforgettable the Greek word for hospitality in the New Testament literally means when it's translated literally the love and welcome of a stranger can you think of a time or maybe an environment when you've been in and you felt like a stranger? Maybe you feel like a stranger tonight. Maybe you've never been to church before and this whole vibe just feels really weird to you and you just think, I feel like the stranger. 
I know some of you work in hospitals, and uh, so the hospital environment to you is very familiar. But um, one of my sons um, had an operation this week, and it struck me again how much of a stranger I feel in hospitals. You're there because either you or someone you love needs help, needs care, needs looking after. You feel a bit vulnerable, don't you? And I don't fully understand the medical language. You know, there's lots of terminology, lots of acronyms, shorthand for things. And so you're really relying on the, the kindness and the goodness of strangers, the staff there, to take care of you. Hospitals and hospitality are close concepts. They both refer to care, sharing the same objective to meet the patient's or the guest's needs. Hospitality is rooted in kindness. And biblical hospitality is expressing the welcome of God to all through tangible acts of service, through food, shelter, and relationships. So it's not simply about doing a good, good job having your friends over. In fact, the New Testament prioritizes the poor, the stranger, and the marginalized, the outsider. And tonight, I want us to look at four things, we've got four headings, just to pull out from the Bible about what the Bible teaches us about generous hospitality. So um, if you want to take notes, follow me through with these four things. The first one is, it's a priority. Generous hospitality is a priority. We're to prioritize it. Hospitality isn't this secondary thing, but it's central to Jesus's mission to the world. Hospitality is at the heart of the gospel. The story of God is all about his generous hospitality towards us. In 1 John 3 verse 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. We, us, we were the strangers. We were the outsiders. And we have been welcomed home into a relationship with him through Jesus' death on the cross. You know, hospitality isn't like this fringe thing for the extroverts or for the people who are really into cooking or making your own sushi or whatever it might be. Hospitality is central. It's the way of Jesus. Jesus loved people into the kingdom of heaven one meal at a time. Jesus was either going to a meal, he was at a meal, coming from a meal, or preaching parables about meals. Hospitality was the way that Jesus chose to meet people with his love, and he calls us as the church to do the same. We're to prioritize generous hospitality. Secondly, generous hospitality is a posture. Hospitality isn't just an act. It's not just an event. It's not just a service or a meal. It's a posture of our hearts. So it's not just something that's, oh, that's what that person likes to do. It's about what's in our hearts. It's about how we relate to people. And there's a difference between hospitality and entertaining. They can, on the surface, look quite similar. Um, but the difference is the heart behind the meal. Hospitality can be Instagram-worthy. It can be Pinterest-inspired, but the heart of hospitality is looking to care for the person in front of us, not caring about what the person in front of us thinks of us, whether we look good to them, whether we are wanting to impress them. Hospitality is something we give unconditionally without getting anything back, nothing in return. In Luke 14, 12 to 14, it says, Then Jesus said to his host, 
When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 1 Peter 4 suggests that we might not always feel like we want to be hospitable. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I've certainly had times after a long day when we've been expecting people to come over and say, I don't want them to come over. I'm really tired. I just want to put my slippers on and just put the apprentice on or whatever. Not the apprentice, actually, although I did watch it this week because somebody from our church was in there. But, you know, sometimes you think, I can't be, I can't be bothered. I'm just too tired. Has anyone else felt like that or is it just me? <laughs> but the thing is, what, the reason it's written in here is it implies that maybe I'm not alone. Maybe there are a number of us who sometimes can feel like we're grumbling. Peter could have written these caveats. He could have said, show hospitality without delay, without anxiety, without a second thought. Instead, he said, grumbling. Show hospitality without grumbling. It seems that even the early church sometimes grumbled with moaning about it. Generous hospitality is a posture of the heart. So it's a priority. It's a posture. Thirdly, it's a practice. Romans 12 verse 13 says, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You know, these were the days before the travel lodge and premier inn. So anyone traveling around depended on the kindness of other Christians. It was to be practiced both within the community of believers and to the outsider, to the stranger. And, you know, to practice something means to pursue it. It requires intentionality. It requires effort. And practicing hospitality, generous hospitality. I've got these five subpoints. So if you're, if you're making notes... Under this third one, five subpoints here. Practicing hospitality is it's countercultural. Firstly, it's countercultural. In first century Jewish culture, to share a meal with somebody was is incredibly significant. It was making a statement about who you were and who was with you, who was at your table, who you were sitting with. It was symbolic of friendship, of intimacy, of unity, of trust. A Jewish rabbi would never have sat with a sinner at the same table. But Jesus was known as friend of sinners because of who he ate with. And the religious leaders criticized him for it. He was known as a glutton and a drunkard. He was none of these. But of course, he was judged as such because he spent so much time at parties and meals hanging out with the wrong sort of people. He had a bit of a scandalous social life, if you like. In Luke 5, we read about the calling of Matthew, the tax collector, who was also known as Levi. Now, tax collectors were seen as collaborating with the enemy. And uh, the Roman oppressors, they were basically traitors to them. They were traitors to their own people as they were taking money from their own people and giving it to the Roman oppressors and also taking some for themselves. And uh, in Luke 5, uh, we read about how Jesus was hanging out with Levi, who put on, it says there, this great banquet for him. And it says, if you read the text, large crowds of other tax collectors gathered around. I'm thinking a banquet sounds pretty flash. A great banquet, that's got to take quite a lot of effort. And there were large crowds of other tax collectors. This was a flashy event that would have been put on. 
And the optics look like Jesus was at this party, not just with sinners, but probably funded with dirty money, funded with their money that, they had, that he had taken from them. And then in Luke 7, Jesus was invited to dinner with, at Simon's house, Simon the Pharisee. And then this sinful woman comes in. You might have read the story. She comes in and she, she weeps over Jesus' feet and she wipes her, his feet with her hair and then she anoints his feet with oil. Simon's there. doesn't say anything, but he's judging this woman. Jesus knows that he's judging him. Simon's also judging Jesus, thinking, if you are who you say you are, you'd know what kind of a woman that she is. But Jesus says to Simon, she, he points out, in fact, that this woman is the one who has shown generous hospitality. Not Simon, not the Pharisee. Then you've got Mary and Martha in Luke 10. And you've got Martha, you know, banging around in the kitchen, pots and pans, making a point that she's the one doing all the work, all the hospitality. But what Jesus says is, actually, Mary, you're worried about many things. You need to be like Martha, um, Mary. Martha, you're worried about many things. You need to be like Mary. Mary is the one who's showing me true hospitality. Her posture, sitting at Jesus' feet, her heart towards Jesus, open to him. There are so many more examples all over the New Testament of how Jesus' love crosses all boundaries, socioeconomic boundaries, age, racial boundaries. And if we take the time to look at these stories, look at what he does at these meals, what he says, and actually often what he doesn't say, and who he shares these meals with, it tells us a lot about God tells us a lot about who he is, tells us a lot about his nature, how he sees us and his mission to the world. I wonder for you, in our culture, in our society, it's not so much the tax collectors. Who is it to you who you find really offensive? Who is the type of person that offends you that you just think, oh my gosh, you know, I wouldn't want to see, sit around a table with them? Perhaps it's someone with a lot of money. Perhaps it's someone who doesn't have a lot of money. I don't know. What's also countercultural about practicing generous hospitality is that the reality is we live in a really individualistic society, don't we? We are told, we're constantly told to look after number one, take care of my needs, consider my energy levels, you know, my finances. And uh, that very mindset can often feel and perpetuate this feeling of loneliness and isolation and depletion. So it can feel quite countercultural to reach out to somebody else and invite them into your home, into your private space. But when we do so, we're doing what Jesus did. So practicing generous hospitality is countercultural. Secondly, it's real life. Now, I've heard someone talk about the dishwasher test. You know, if someone comes into your house, how comfortable are you with them loading your dishwasher? Because if they're a guest, you'll be like, oh, no, 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 you don't have to do that. No, no, please don't, please don't. But actually, if they're part of your real life, like an extension of your life, maybe you feel more at ease saying, oh, yeah, I'm happy to do that. Maybe the example of dishwasher is highly contentious because some people I know, I've been to your homes, very particular about the way the dishwasher is loaded. And all the reasons are, like, it's more economical for water, but sometimes they can be quite territorial about the dishwasher. Thirdly, it's costly. It's costly because it costs money. Not always, but often. Generous hospitality doesn't mean extravagant food. It doesn't mean fine dining. But food does cost. And uh, though there are lots of different ways to show hospitality, there is something about the use of food. There's something about gathering around a table that was a big deal for Jesus. And it's the same for us. 
N.T. Wright says, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. That was the Last Supper. Practicing generous hospitality is also costly because it requires us to share our possessions. We've been talking a lot over these last few weeks about the generous love of God, what that means. Marcus spoke last week about generously giving our money. Chris before that spoke about giving our possessions generously. It's costly. It's also costly because it requires time. Whether that's time just to take someone out for a coffee to listen to what's going on in their lives, or cooking a meal for someone, or time because you're serving at church. Actually, every single team that comes out of this church, every single team that you're a part of, is rooted in hospitality. Alex doing the visuals at the back, putting up the slides. You know, if he didn't do that, we wouldn't be able to join together in the words, in worship, or follow what's going on through the Bible. He, what, his role is hosting in hospitality. What we do with our youth, with our kids, welcoming on the door, you would have met Tasha as she came in. The, the, the root behind, the why behind every team is, is the heart of hospitality. Fourthly, practicing generous hospitality requires humility. And a humility blurs the line between the host and the guest. Because sometimes as the host, you can have this sense of um, like power, almost, like you're coming into my home, you're sitting at my table, you're eating the food that I'm providing. I'm the one that is hosting you. You're the one in need kind of thing. But Jesus went to the other homes, um, people's homes, not just as a giver, but as a receiver of their hospitality. Jesus blurs those lines, and he lays down power. We read in John 13 when he washes the disciples' feet, like the lowest servant, showing hospitality in other people's homes. Humility to learn from one another. Three John, um, the third letter of John, verse eight says, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we might work together for the truth. Learning together for the truth. Those who gather around our tables, they inform us and they form us. Who we hang out with forms us. When we spend time with Jesus, committing each day to God, it leads us on to that fifth one, around openness. Fifthly, practicing hospitality requires openness. Openness to God and openness to other people. You know, spending time with Jesus, being alert, intimate with him, watching the leading uh, of the Holy Spirit to people who are coming across our path. Lord, who is it that you're wanting me to, to break into their conversation today? Not in a rude way, but, you know, like to st start a conversation with. Maybe it's the person at the checkout. Who is it that you're wanting me to host with my posture? Who is it in, in front of you who genuinely needs you just to stop one moment and just say, how are you really doing? What's really going on? Giving them eye contact, giving them a smile, taking the time to get to know that new person at college or at university or at school or at lunchtime, the person who doesn't ever really seem to sit with anyone, bit of an outsider, not really in the cool crowd, inviting them in to friendship groups, sitting with you, inviting that first-time mum or dad for a coffee or a walk around the park and listening to the highs and lows, the delights and challenges of becoming parents, taking a meal to somebody who's just moved into your street, or inviting the person who's just moved into the block of flats from somewhere 
in another country, another nation, who knows nobody in the world and has just moved into London? What does it look like to say, come into my home, to my space, let me host you? Practicing generous hospitality is often a costly practice, but is also a powerful one to show care to others. So generous hospitality, it's a priority, it's a posture, it's a practice, and fourthly and finally, it's a portal. Generous hospitality is a portal through which the kingdom of heaven breaks in. I've heard the American pastor John Tyson used this word portal. I really like it. I think it explains really well what this is. And as we read the Bible, we see that Jesus didn't just use mealtimes, gathering around a table and hospitality as an analogy for the kingdom of God. They were how Jesus brought the kingdom of God. It was the portal through which the kingdom of heaven broke in to people's lives. For example, Zacchaeus in Luke 19 Verses 1 to 10, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So he was on his way somewhere, so he was interruptible. And a man there was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree um, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. A little bit of gossip going on there, like what's going on? He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half, my um, I give half of my possessions to the poor if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which he had. I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. It was around this hospitality, being in his home, that salvation came, the portal through which came to Zacchaeus. Acts 2 verse 44 to 47, it says, all the believers together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And what happened? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In the New Testament, the kingdom of God literally broke out over meals Hospitality is a portal through which the plans and purposes of God are fulfilled. I love the story in Genesis 24. You've got Abraham who sends his servant off to go and find a wife um, for his son Isaac. And so he sends the servant off on this mission with 10 camels. And they stop at a well outside a town. And then Rebecca comes along with her jar, her water jar, on her shoulder. The servant goes up to her and asks her for a little water from her jar. She says, drink, my lord. After she's given him a drink, she says, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. Now, you guys probably all know this. But a typical camel can drink 53 gallons of water in three minutes. I mean, maybe I'm just catching up. But this servant has 10 camels. That's a, that's a lot of water. So Rebecca, she would have had this clay jar. She would have had this jug, which would have held three gallons of water. So doing just a little bit of maths, 
53 gallons for each camel times 10, so that's 530 camel, uh, gallons. And then divided by a three-gallon jar, that means that 176.6 times Rebecca was lowering, lowering her jar down into the well. Do you see what I mean? It's like generous hospitality. It was generous of her when this stranger comes up and she says, yeah, I'll give you some water. And then for her to say, and I'll give water for your camels as well. I mean, she is stepping into like repetitive strain injury territory. Do you know what I mean? 176.6 times lowering this water jar down. But what she did through that generous hospitality, it became the portal through which she found her life partner and through whose family line led to the birth of Christ. The portal, the person through whom we can receive the deepest level of hospitality. Revelation 3, verse 20 says, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. As Christians, each one of us is called to show generous hospitality. It's not for the few who like baking. No, let's look for opportunities to see the kingdom of God break through in our day-to-day -day lives. Where are those moments? Where are those conversations? Where are those people that we might be a portal for the kingdom of God to break through? Hebrews 13, verse 1 to 2 says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So generous hospitality, it's a priority, it's a posture, it's a practice, and it's a portal through which the kingdom of heaven breaks in, and it's how each one of us is invited to partner with God to show his love to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.